You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We are plowing through this series through the book of James. And um, we, as we preach, we love to take books of the Bible and see what God is speaking through that, through different authors. And we've got this man, James. And as, if you've been here, you've been realizing, man, this guy, he doesn't really pull punches. He's pretty, pretty direct, and he talks a lot about what maturity is. I would say maturity as a Christian, obviously, but also just maturity in life. Very practical book. And as we've been going through this uh, study, we've been seeing um, that ultimately he gives us a lot of things. Hey, here's what a mature person looks like, but as we remember, it always brings us back to Jesus always brings us back to the good news of what Jesus does. So I'm going to read today from James chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and then we'll we'll pull this apart a little bit. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a small salt pond yield fresh water. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we ask for your help. God, uh, honestly, it's, it's a little sometimes challenging to be up here and to think, Lord, that these words can do something in our lives, God, because we just hear so many words throughout our lives and our weeks. But but we believe in faith, God, that you use these things. You give us a regular uh, menu of being in your word and having you speak to us through that. So I pray for my friends here, Lord, brothers and sisters here, that you would give us hearts and lives that can receive your word however you're speaking to us. Maybe some of us need to be challenged. Maybe some of us need to be reminded of your patience and grace. Whatever it is, Lord, give us a receptive heart. And this would be more than just some guy up front saying a lot of things but it would be pointing to life himself in Christ. So help us, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at this idea of words here today. And in verse 1, as, as, as James starts out here, he's speaking to a culture where teachers are looked at with great admiration. And especially in the church, many look to be a, a spiritual leader who spoke with authority, with wisdom, and that's why when we talk about teachers, I mean, anywhere, but especially in the church, 
There's a great accountability for those who would be elders, pastors, teachers in any kind of capacity where you're conveying who God is. There's a great accountability that teachers have. Um, where we see in different parts of the word, yo, if you're going to teach, don't do it lightly. Don't do it flippantly. Um, the church is not for a place who can just... Uh, for people who know how to use their mouth well and who can keep people entertained and, you know, can really make you laugh and roll and keep you, and move your emotions. It's like, this is us through a sermon. And, you know, that's not what teaching in the, in the church, in the Bible is. It, it's actually a great weighty proposition. And so for me, I like that because it makes me have to come to God regularly saying, yo, if I'm going to be standing up in front of these impressionable men and women, man, may I not do it flippantly. May I not just trust? Yeah, I can talk. But it would, I would be on my face saying, Lord, if you're not speaking through this, uh, let me just pull a donkey up there and you speak through that donkey directly like you do in the scripture. Some of you are like, what? Go look it up. Just Google donkey and Bible, right? But there's an assumption that people who speak in the leadership of the church are supposed to be mature. And you understand this, whether you're a Christian or not, you understand this because there's something off-putting when you see CNN or Fox News or, or some site and you see someone said something ridiculous. Said, someone said something dumb. And I don't like to use that word like casually, but it's dumb, right? You're like, what the heck? And then you find out, oh, they a pastor? Like, hopefully we would have high expectations for any person. We just don't want more dumb people saying stuff, right? But... If you're a pastor, come on now. There's supposed to be like a weight to your words. There's supposed to be wisdom there. So James, he uses that assumption we would have of spiritual leaders and teachers as a springboard to talk about maturity. And, and the simple idea that we could chew on here is this idea that our words are a measure of our maturity as we follow Jesus. That our words, those things that come out of our mouth, those are a measure of how mature we are as we know who Jesus is as we follow him. So starting verse 2, James is painting a picture here, and he has a series of images. And he starts off first talking about um, a man and talking about being able to bridle his old body. He use, intentionally uses this word bridle. He's, he's going to translate into talking about animals, particularly horses. Because how do you guide a horse? I've ridden a horse once in my life, and that was enough, right? Bucket list checked off. I'm like, okay, I don't need to do that again. Me and, me and animals just don't work well unless it's like a one-sided affair, right? But I, I rode this thing, and it was, it was fascinating, though, because I'm like, okay, that, that, that thing's big. It's fascinating, though, how you have this thing where you can guide it with the bridle and the mouth, and you can actually control the way the animal. You pull it left, the animal goes left. Pull it right, the horse goes right. This small little bit controls the way this animal goes. And it then talks about ships. James writes about ships. And I don't know if any of you have been on a big boat. Like how, how, how does this thing move? How does this turn? And you're fascinated to find that as large a, as a boat might get and as complex, there's still this thing called a rudder that, that some person controls. And whether they turn that one way or the other, this whole giant thing is going to move. This tiny little thing controls the whole entity. And we're talking about um, the, the power that our words have, in some sense, to determine who we are and the direction that we go. In verse 5, we see another imagery of fire. We talk about, like, this, and this is where you can let Smokey Bear come into your mind, right? Only you can prevent wildfires. It used to be forest fires, but I'm up to date. But... 
there's this imagery of fire. And it's saying, yo, man, you see a forest fire? You see how this whole giant piece of land, all these trees, how it can go off? You know that it started with that little, little like, ignition, right? Like a little fire. No one dropped a giant fire on it, and it just, it was started from this very small source in the same way. In verse 6, it says, the tongue is a fire, and it has that same effect on life. Small, I mean, you take all your organs, that's one of the smaller ones, but man, the power can have on your life. The influence, the impact. And, I mean, I've noticed this, that sometimes you don't see the effect of your words, and you don't even know what's happening. Like, I've done some counseling sessions with, with uh, married couples, for instance, or people in conflict. Um, and, you know, they're going at each other, and it starts real calm, but by the end of it, it's, ah! And then afterwards, I calm down a little bit. I'm like, okay, um, remember when you said that? They're like, I didn't say that. I'm like, yeah, you did. I need to start recording, right? Because I'm like, yeah, you did. And they're like, I, I, I don't even remember saying that. And it shows the power of words. That what can smart, like, sm- start in a real small thing. And you've seen this maybe in sometimes of yourself. Like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. that. What starts from a very small source can inflame into like a forest fire. And verse 6. Um, I'm just real pointed imagery here when it says, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life. And I think in some sense, this is applying to the church. It's saying some people who've been speaking inappropriately, it stains the whole body. It affects the whole church. It's not just one person, but their tongue. It's like like putting a light, a a match on kerosene. It just moves through the whole church. And some of you, I'm really glad, I don't think, that this has marked our church. But some of y'all, if you've been in some church backgrounds in the past, where gossip is a prominent part of that church, You've seen it happen, right? Where just a few people gossip, and it's amazing how the whole church can feel the effect of that. That's what's saying here, but I think maybe some of you can bring it home as well. And again, I know this is probably not true for everyone here because y'all come from amazing families, biological families of origin. But for some of us, maybe who've come from more dysfunctional families, is that the best way to say it? Like It's like Thanksgiving, for instance, and you're there, and you're like, okay, this year is going to be different. I'm not, you know, Uncle Bob, he's just not going to throw me off my game. I'm just going to have my turkey, going to eat my stuffing, and we're going to be all peaceful and loving, hold hands and say what we're thankful for. But in the midst of the conversation, everything's going great. You're like, okay, first year. First year it's working. And then Uncle Bob say that one thing. And you're like, come on now. How petty are you? This is just words. You know he's going to say this. Why are you letting? But it, it, have you ever been in that setting where it just cast a pall over the whole room. And maybe you're Uncle Bob. And you're like, heck, am I Uncle Bob right now? Has he been to my Thanksgiving? But this idea that even one word, one small casual statement, have you, have you sometimes seen like the, the rippling effect it can have on a whole room? Like someone say something and everyone's just like, oh, okay, well, that, that stinks. <laughs> when's, this, when's this John over? It's miserable. I hate this. The power of our words can have great impact on the whole unit, the whole family, the whole church. In verse 7, it brings into the animal imagery again, right? This imagery of a wild animal that, that the tongue can't be tamed. 
that this is not just about having better self-control. It's not about just having someone who's monitoring your Twitter account so that you, so you don't send out these things, right? That's not, it's, it's saying it's like a wild animal. And how does James demonstrate this, this idea of this wildness, this like untamed kind of nature? In verse 9 and 10, one of the most convicting verses in this passage, let me read it again. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It's saying with the same tongue that we come to church and we all, Jesus, 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 and love one another and, you know, worship and holy and pure and all that. With that same tongue that we do that, 20 minutes later we outside of church and we like blah, 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 blah to people. And, and James is saying, yo, there's something, there's something jacked up about that. There's something not quite right there. This is not up on the screen, but in Genesis chapter 1, we read of the creation account. And and verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Because we need to understand here, um, in verse 9, it says, We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Because ultimately for the Christian, the reason that we are to consider every person, regardless of belief, Regardless of background, regardless of religion, regardless of uh, life practice, we are called to treat every person with dignity and respect, not because they're good, not necessarily because they're deserving. I mean, not even because they treated you well first, right? But for the Christian, we treat every person with dignity and respect, respect because they're created in the image of God. Every single human being born on this earth is created in the image and bearing the likeness of their heavenly father. And that's why we respect people. That's why we don't talk about people a certain way. Not just because they deserve it, because let's be real, some people deserve you to go all crazy on them. But it's because they're made in the image of God. I'll give some a little commentary here. This should be extremely convicting for a church crowd. If you are here, if you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. You can listen, but I'm going to talk to the Christians in the room. Because James is pointing out, you know, there's way too much disconnect between belief and practice. The, the, there's some discontinuity there between what y'all proclaim on Sundays and then what, what we hear about you living your life Monday through Saturday. There's something a little bit off there. I was reminded of this recently, and I try to spend less and less time on Facebook, not just for all these news reasons, but I, I don't know. But it's good to stay connected with people's baby pictures, I guess. But, but man, I, I was on Facebook recently, and I saw someone had posted, and this person's not as familiar with the platform, so they don't know this thing called a direct message where you can send someone a message directly. But they do that wall thing, right, where they just put it on their wall, and they tag someone, hey, wanted to make sure you're okay, that you didn't get hacked, because it seems like you left a really weird comment on someone's thing that it doesn't sound like you. So I'm like, okay, just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. Oh, okay, but my curiosity got the best of me. I'm like, I need to check out who this person is. So I'm just so curious, right? So I clicked on it, and I started reading. And first, the banner page was this beautiful, like, Christian meme, like a lot of flowers and lilies and stuff, and about Bible verses. I was like, oh, that's good, that's good. And then profile picture, oh, really sweet-looking person. I'm like, oh, dig it, cool. 
And then I found a few, like, a little cool Christian lingo stuff on there and, you know, about, like, worshiping God with all of our heart and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And then I start seeing some things that were not so fun, like pretty racist, actually, pretty angry, pretty demeaning towards other image bearers of God. And this is not a political thing. I think I see this go both ways, but just a real, like, ugly kind of thing. And then some more good Christian stuff. (laughs) And then another really ugly thing. I'm like, oh, okay, they didn't get hacked. (laughs) That's just who they are. And as, you know, it's easy for me to be judgmental, but I brought it back to myself and said, Lord, are there things in the way I communicate, whether online or just in person, that someone had asked me, did your life get hacked? Are there things that people see me say, do, conduct myself that would make someone from our church, you know, in a loving way, text me and say, oh, yo, Dan, did you get hacked? Come man, there was something really ugly in that you communicated. And I think introspection requires for us, because it's easy to point to other people and say, yeah, man, they, they got no integrity in their life. Bring it back to yourself. Are there things in the way I communicate, talk, and not just in church. Everyone can talk good in church. But in my family, in my workplace, when I'm by myself. Because we know in the Bible, words are not just this thing that come out of our mouth, even though it's what's talking about here. It's also the thought that comes through our mind. Are there things there that are not reflective of loving the image bearers of God? Because, I mean, again, we, we can be real here, right? I think there's a great propensity, and one of the reasons why we try to kill this thing called hypocrisy in our church, because so many of us, that's our experience when it comes to the church and Christians, right? A lot of hypocrisy. Because it's real easy in this setting that we call church to act all holy moly, to use the good lingo, to even be very loving. But what's it look like in our everyday lives? Because we cannot, I don't think, well, we can do it, but I don't think it's right. We can't, with integrity, say that we love and we worship this God and we sing these amazing songs and Jason leads us through these deep lyrics of the great love of God. We can't do that with, on one, one day and suddenly have a potty mouth for the guy that, that we curse down the street. We, we, we just can't do that. We, we can't have words filled with hate and vitriol for those that we disagree with on social issues or political issues. We can't have this like a vehement like, like bile in our words for those who differ culturally in certain stances than we do. The Christian always has to err on the side of grace. We always have to err on the side of love, even if it's not deserved. We have to choose not to belittle, even if that feels very appropriate at a, at a moment. I'll throw this one in there. I think sometimes we can talk about our language and those. Um, some of you might disagree with me here. I think as Christians, you got to be careful about the coarseness of your language too. And I'm speaking to myself first. Talk to my wife, right? Sometimes stuff slips out of my mouth that shouldn't. Because um, sometimes we can be real free with, oh yeah, we're all forgiven. We're all grace. We're not about pretending anymore. We're all about keeping it real. Um, but we're also supposed to be growing in holiness. And sometimes the things I see, especially in things like social media, the words that come out of people's mouth, there's just a, it's, it's not congruous with that like nice Bible meme that comes up right next. 
when we say things that are coarse of nature, whether sexually or, or joking-wise, or just language itself. And I'm not a prude. I, maybe some of you think I I don't think I'm a prude. I'm not saying we should be like prudish and like use Victorian language. I, I'm really not a fan of that. But are our words matching the conviction we say we have in Christ? Because I'll put this out for you and maybe you can chew on this. I would suggest that our words in our everyday life are a much more accurate indicator of Christ's truth in our life than when we're here doing this whole church thing. That the words... That, that we find in our everyday life are a much more accurate indicator of our relation with God than when we're here doing this. Because we all sound like St. Paul when we're here, right? Some of you got a Baltimore accent with it, but we all sound like we're St. Paul. But who are you when you're in your neighborhood? Who are you when you're with your friends, with your family, at work, when you're playing your poker games, when you're going out on a Thursday night? What, how are you finding yourself speaking in those places? Because, guys, our words matter. Our words matter. And those of you who've been blessed by people's words, you understand that, right? You're like, oh, amen. Words are important, man. God has used people's words to bless me. But maybe we recognize it best when words have been used to hurt us. Maybe we can understand that words matter when we can think on the ways when people have used words to damage us or hurt us or speak ill about us. And some smart person in the past said this thing like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I mean, whoever made that up has never experienced bullying. (laughs) Whoever said something like that has never experienced uh, the horror of um, sexual harassment. Whoever said that thing about sticks and stones has maybe never experienced that, you know, maybe no one ever hit you on the side of the head with a club, but they came with very dark, vile language that was racist in nature. Yeah, they didn't punch you, but it was like taking a punch, right? Words matter. Words matter. You might not have, like, physical bruises on you, but the bruises in your soul you can carry for a long time. And and some of my healing process in my life has been in shock, um, recognizing that some things that have been with me for like decades now, and I don't want to betray how old I am, because some of you think I'm like in my late 20s. <laughs> um, but man, it, it's unbelievable how things that like, things I heard when I was even like a little kid, whether they were intended or not, but that were harmful for me, I've been caring for like decades. And I, I can remember like the exact quote. I can remember the person's face who said it. Words matter. And if we believe that we're not just people of flesh, but we're people of soul as well, they can impact our soul. Because words matter, for good or for bad. Sometimes it's not the harmful words, but sometimes it's the absence of words. For some of us, your greatest pain is not necessarily something someone said to you, but it's something that you wish someone would have said to you that's been lacking. Some of you, the reason that you work so hard in your life to succeed and to be successful and to prove yourself is because you never heard growing up, oh man, I am so proud of you. Man, I'm so glad God made you. I'm so glad God made you the way you are. Wow, you're doing a real good job. Like you never heard these things and you're like, your soul was aching for that. You wanted some kind of affirmation. You wanted some kind of reflection that someone knows me, they see me, even in my faults, and yet they affirm me, and they encourage me, and they give me hope to keep going. 
and you've carried some of that. Because words matter. Words make a difference. And, you know, we can be honest here, right? Because it's easy to point out how other people's words have affected us, and that's where most of us go first, right? How people have hurt us. But maybe some of us, you've left some scorched earth somewhere else with your own words that have impacted another. Maybe some of us here. Maybe some of us have used, been on the other end, where we've hurt people without even recognizing. Or maybe we have recognized. And guys, that's why we speak about a changed heart. We have to go back to the source of who we are because it's easy to take a message like this today and say, man, yeah, pastor, keep going. I need to speak better. Man, I need to be more careful about my words. Man, I need to be more loving and I need to be stop, stop being so harsh and critical and, and angry. I mean, yeah, maybe, sure. But, but ultimately, your problem is not just primarily your words. It's the source of your words. It's the source of your words. That's what verse 11 and 12 says again, right? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I mean, this is just simple gardening, simple biology. What it's saying is you can't have a spring that's one nature, and it's bringing on another. You can't have a fresh spring and expect to get salt water. You can't have a fig tree and then get some olives, I mean, someone do some, maybe nowadays with some freaky engineering, genetic engineering, but in biblical times, which I kind of prefer, you don't have stuff like that, right? It's weird. You don't plant a grapevine and then expect to get figs out of it. Because our words are not the deeper problem. That might be a symptom of something going on, but our words are not the deeper problem. Because we can be religious you can go forth from here. You can try to modify your behavior. You can be like, yo, you be my accountability partner. Every time I say a naughty word, dollar in the swear jar. And we can try to fix ourselves. And, and those are not bad. But we don't just need better filters. We don't just need better control. We need a changed heart. We need a new source of who we are. Psalm chapter 141, starting verse 3, it says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. So yeah, put some filter over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Yeah, Lord, help me to speak better. Let nothing escape. That's not, it shouldn't. But verse four, do not let my heart incline to any evil. Ultimately, yeah, it is about what we say, but the source of that is our heart. Lord, let my heart not be inclined to evil. It would be like if you've got like car issues and you go and say, yeah, my car is not starting. You take it to the car wash. You're like, oh, let me buff this John up. And let me get it all nice and soapy. Oh, let me get some new windshield wipers. Oh, let me get some new rims. And, you know, get, that, and get a nice paint job. And you're like, all right, come on, car, let's go. You're like, oh, well, well your problem's your battery. Your problem's your source. You keep making it look prettier. It's looking shinier. It's looking nicer. But you're not taking care of the real problem, which is your battery. In the same way, we can talk better. We can even look better. But is our heart echoing that? Because if we want our words to be transformed, it starts with our hearts being transformed. And when that happens, man, look out. Because words are powerful. One verse in Genesis chapter 1, again, we talk about the creation account. Verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And when you look throughout this chapter, there's just this continual... Um, phrase there, and God said. And when we talk about creation, when, when we talk about how things came to be, it, it, it wasn't God doing something like that. It was God speaking it into life. God spoke. And words are powerful even from the very beginning. 
something beautiful out of nothing was created because of God's words. And in the same way with you and I, when our souls experience transformation, when Jesus, he, he receives uh, us into his life and he gives us new life, he transforms us where once our words were that wildfire. And if some of you've got a naughty tongue like I do, you know what I mean, because I had like California wildfires in my mouth, right? It, it, where once our words were this wildfire, this untamed beast, these same words that we used to use to curse those made in the image of God. Now God will use to redeem as instruments of peace. God will even use the words that we used to do to harm others to bring hope, to bring love, to honor others. Because here, here's what we have to understand. If, if we are transformed in Christ, um, the Christian is never just about an absence of evil. So I think sometimes we stop at that, and sometimes Christians are, are, are good at saying, okay, if I'm a Christian now, man, I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing that. I need to stop talking like that. I need to stop sounding like a sailor when I'm in this context. I need some integrity in my words. I'm, I need to stop doing these things, and we stop there, and that's good, but it's also now intentionally doing good. Christians don't just stop doing what we say are bad, but we also intentionally now do good where we might not have before. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just put this on myself. Um, some of you know my story. I used to have a real, real vile, violent temper. I used to fight all the time. I used to be angry. And a lot of times that was physical in nature. So my goal was to physically impose my will upon a person, to make them feel pain. And you're like, oh, man, who let this guy preach? He's horrible. God's done some work in my life, right? But that used to be my goal. I'll be like, I want this person to hurt. I didn't used to believe in education as a change. God, like, people are jacked up. They need to feel pain. So that's what, but, but here's what I don't talk about some other times. Part of that for me was not so much a physical imposing, but it was also a verbal one. And you can imagine when you hear me preach what that looked like when it was not redeemed. I would go off on people. My goal would be to shame them. My goal would, if it was a guy, I would want to emasculate them in any way possible. I would find any weakness I could. It was like battle rapping right in their face. I would tell them all the ways that they are going to be hurt in a moment here physically, but I want them to know it verbally as well. And I used to use my words as a weapon. My words were a weapon. So when God transformed my heart and redeemed me, um, in some sense, there was a stopping of using those kind of words. And, and, you know, sometimes God, he allows me to go through temptation, especially when I'm driving on like 695 and someone cuts me off. Sometimes, man, that flesh cuz wants to crawl back in there. But it's mostly dead, right? Um, mostly. So it's stopping that, but God has also reminded me now, it's not just stopping what used to be harmful, but now it's actually flipping the script and positively using the words. And where I used to once tear down, now how do you build up? Where it once used to be to try to demean someone, now how do you lift up honor? Where it used to be once to tell everyone everything wrong about them, now how can you help people to be all that perhaps God intended them to be as jacked up as life might be? And, and why I share that here is the goal is not to just monitor our speech better. Man, Christians, we're so, like, behavior-oriented, right? Let's just stop cussing. 
or that. Yeah, just sure, that's a little part of it. But more than that, how can our words now be redeemed to be the very message of God to people? How can our words now be used to bless people? How can our words now be used to convey actually the very message of life to those who might not have it? And if you're a Christian here, what I want to encourage you here is you have been given the authority to speak words of truth and life to those around you. Don't underestimate the potential impact of your words amongst your friends, amongst your families, amongst your church, amongst your neighbors, amongst your coworkers. You have been given an authority to speak in the very name of Christ. And I love seeing that in church. I love seeing that in church. And my hope for our church is we become even a more honoring community. We become even a more encouraging community. And we're going to do something a little different right now during the sermon that we don't always do. But we wanted to open up the mic up front here. And I want to give you an opportunity. If, if some of you wanted to come up, and again, no more than like a minute short here. This is not, this is not like American Idol for your preaching dreams, right? Like minute max. But what's one thing maybe that God would put upon you to bless this community here? What's maybe a word of encouragement that the Lord is saying, give, a, give to this church? What's a way that maybe you've been blessed and you want to share it with the church? Maybe what's a challenge you feel that God is leading and using our words here in this setting to be God's powerful work in our church? I wanted to open it up here. Again, don't force something, but if, if God is giving you something to share, share it freely here and use the power of your words. So the mic is open. Feel free to come up. If you want to come up, you can start lining up. You don't all have to wait till uh, this awkward thing. Uh, but if you want to share something, I want to invite you to come up. And again, try to be respectful. Don't go over like a minute or so, but how can you encourage? How can you bless? How can you comfort? How can you challenge? What's a word that maybe God has given you to share in this place? Introduce yourself as you do that. Guys, ouch. My name is Minji. Um, uh, I actually, after I shared, um, I think two weeks ago-ish, I had this thought that um, I was really shocked and surprised that I came up here and shared because um, I I don't know, I I normally wouldn't do that, but... um, I shared that my brother was in jail, and uh, culturally, it's it's really embarrassing. I don't know, being Asian, he's the only Asian person in like in the jail, and there's 350 people in there, and so it's just I don't know. It doesn't happen often in the Asian community, I guess, or I don't know anyone that's actually I do know a couple of people, but I don't know that many people in jail. It's not like an everyday thing, and so there's a lot of shame involved, and it was embarrassing. But uh, I think I've come to a point. Um, not in my faith, I'm not going to make it that grandiose, but with my brother at least, uh, where I believe in prayer more than I'm uh, afraid, mm-hmm. or uh, I believe in, in, in prayer more than I'm ashamed uh, or, or embarrassed. And, and so mm-hmm. uh, I was really shocked at that, and, and, and I, was, um, I was so thankful that, that the Holy Spirit had done that for me. And um, so I just wanted to encourage you guys, if you guys have any uh, anything that may be embarrassing but uh, needs to be prayed over, uh, just come up here and take a chance on these people. We, we all love each other. We all care about each other. And um, instead of being embarrassed, um, just believe in, in, in the power of prayer more than, than being embarrassed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
So when I was running on Saturday morning, I felt really powerfully that God was putting something on my heart. And then it's been a really rough last 24 hours. So it feels really strange to share. But hmm. um, I've just been really amazed. Um, so Adam and I have been married for almost 13 years. And um, it's been really, really hard. Um, and we've had points where I just, you know, just didn't know if we were going to make it. And, and we still do, you know, have really hard times. But when I had been trying my very hardest, thinking that I've done everything that I could possibly do, it wasn't enough. But a couple of years ago, and I've said this before, I started reading my Bible. And it has been just amazing to see the power. Like, I couldn't do anything else. But just seeing how God is, like, just has his hands all over all kinds of I just it's a miracle and um, I just want to say to all you guys that I like I believe this miracle for all of you guys too like God has such tremendous power well beyond mm. what any of us can even fathom so whatever that I think we all have those things in our lives that there's we feel like we have there's no hope there's no way that we can see how God can redeem but he, he can. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, so I'm Christy, and if you know me, the words that I'm going to come out of my mouth are a little bit weird, so you can take it as that. The Holy Spirit is at work in our, in our church, right? I believe this, and I think he's been working in a really um, profound way for a couple of months. And if you, have, if you want examples, I can give them to you. I've been speaking with a lot of people about it. Um, Nicole, who I live with, and Bella, I had a good chat with her um, on Friday before youth group, and then we had youth group, and I saw the Holy Spirit at work again, right? He's working in a lot of different ways, um, and I think with that also comes a little bit of spiritual warfare. So I just want to um, just say that and just be aware that when you are interacting with our family members here at church or anybody else, um, that the devil may be at work, um, but the Holy Spirit has won. Um, Jesus has won. So. Amen. Uh, hi, I'm Jason. You typically see me up singing. I typically try not to share too much, try to stick to the music. Um, but um, I've been praying about a context in which to share the idea of worship not being something that we do on Sunday, but worship is we are beings who God has made us to be as a continuous outpour from Sunday at 12 o'clock to Saturday. And um, uh, I, lo I love this verse. It says in uh, Colossians 3, And let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts, which you, indeed you were called in one body. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving him thanks to God our Father Mm. through him. As we're talking about words this morning, it says that let the peace of God, the word of God, uh, dwell in you richly. Um, I, I agree with Christy. I feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something marvelous. The one thing I think that he's doing is binding us together. Um, and I want to encourage you all to continue in that work um, and to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit and worship from Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday morning. And my encouragement to you is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that when we come together on Sunday mornings, that we can encourage each other in psalm and hymn and spiritual songs. Amen. Thank you. Anyone have anything else they wanted to give as a word for the church? All right, start fighting for it. I like it. (laughs) Um, I'm Savannah, and I never do this kind of thing, so I'm super nervous. Um, But kind of talking along what Jason said, I just really have felt in the last couple years like the need for community. and I've had some stuff going on, and the people here at this church, you know, I mean, God, it was God that helped, but it was through people here in this community, and um, so I think I just wanted to say, like, lean on the people that are here at this church. They're our family, and um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. My name's Brendan. Uh, so I was trying to think of the best way to explain this past year uh, in our lives, and I couldn't figure out a way to describe it for me, but then I read a, I was reading a book, which is a miracle in itself that I was reading a book. And they, the author put it in a way that just summed it up. But this past year has a lot of disappointment and kind of suffering in our family, which was really hard, uh, but... The way the author put it is that we don't rejoice in our suffering, but we can rejoice knowing that our suffering is in the will of God, as long as it's something that's not like consequences of our own sin. But knowing that our suffering, even though we don't deserve it for just unfortunate circumstances, is the will of God, is something that we can rejoice in. And even though there's been suffering, I've had some joy and peace in the suffering, knowing that it's in the will of God, and I think the way that the author put that really summed it up. So, if you guys are going through any type of suffering, you can rejoice knowing that it might be God's will, and it's probably God's will to go through that, uh, and that through the suffering, he's going to, it's going to be something much greater uh, in the end, so. Thank you. Anyone else have anything you wanted to share? <laughs> you sit in the front when you know they'll be speaking so that you don't have this experience. I'm Marianne, um, uh, for those of you that don't know me. And um, I, I just wanted to share about uh, this situation at work that um, you might be able to relate with. There's someone I hated. 
like a lot. Uh, I would go to sleep thinking about how much I hated this person. I would wake up thinking about how much I hated this person. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I even had a dream last night where I was telling off people that he works with and incidentally, you know, targeted at him. Um, uh, this person was very hurtful. I felt like this person is this huge bully. And for a long time, I've been savoring uh, a chance to tell his boss, like, like a sideways comment that would require, you know, investigating. Like, what is this person really like with people? Um, who are really low on the totem pole, or are women of color, whatever, all those things. And uh, <laughs> I really wanted that satisfaction. Um, but it's been three years of having to uh, have my heart seared by Dan when I let it <laughs> um, and other people. I actually sometimes avoid Good Friday service because it's all about reconciliation. And um, <laughs> Way to plug it, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just know what you're in for. Um, uh, we'll get you for our Facebook ad about Good Friday. <laughs> this is this is being recorded. Um, you uh, you have to sit and dwell on the the grace that you receive. You have to think about that every time you eat communion that you've been reunited with Him, and and yet you are so full of contempt that it shows on your face. The person actually avoids you because they know how much you hate them. Um, mm. uh, you know, and, and and yet you go to church uh, and you say wonderful things to people or you go to a community group where you think you're free from this person and can put on this image of being very holy um, and have being read a lot of scripture. Um, but you give it three years, and that will tear away at you. And uh, I was convicted, and I actually left a note on this person's desk recently and told them I think that they're doing a good job at their, their work. Mm. Um, because I couldn't say it to his face. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought that that was true, um, and that was, that was being honest um, and responding to the Spirit and to conviction and, and other people's testimonies. Um, and it's not easy. It's still really stiff when we interact with each other. But we've turned a corner. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to people knowing, who know my relationship with this person, to seeing that change. And I, I hope that it's observable now because I feel it. Um, and I feel like it's, why did I wait so long? Um, but that is a testimony of, of the Spirit and, and of, of letting the Word soak in. Um, and I, I share that because I'm, I'm not there yet. And I think that that's probably a more honest place which with, with which I can encourage you to also let the Spirit speak into the things that you're holding on to and the grudges and uh, the sin that you feel justified um, maintaining. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Two more guys. You guys defend me to the children's workers downstairs because they're going to go long today a little bit. So you say, hey, Spirit was moving, so we couldn't quench it. But two more guys. I was hoping Marianne would just keep talking so I wouldn't have to get up here. Um, uh, my name is Daniel Wilkinson. I know a lot of you, but not all of you. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of the things that my wife and I joke about is how I like to say really obvious things. Um, and Or I have a tendency to say really obvious things, probably because I'm a verbal processor. And uh, I just, I'm thinking stuff, so I just say it. Um, but uh, I shared with Pastor Dan and, and Andy... Um, 
by email last week uh, some things that God was doing sort of in response to last week's um, sermon, but I think bigger than that as well, Um, and sort of uh, in some ways articulating some things that I've been, I think, aware of but not able to articulate for the past maybe six months or so. Um, So I'm going to say something that I think should be obvious um, to a lot of us, um, uh, but it's not necessarily always obvious to me, and so maybe there's other people like me. And that's just that, um, let me see if I can articulate this right, but uh, God working in your life um, does not not equal you. um, It doesn't mean that you've arrived or that you've, like, I also have a tendency to get emotional. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's a nerve thing or um, if I'm just a, a crybaby. But um, uh, so I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to force myself not to. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I have I have this tendency to um, believe that if God's working in my life, it means that I'm like that I've figured stuff out or that I'm victorious or. Um, that somehow I've, I've arrived, and I, th- I think that um, God working in your life is a lot more about uh, you being in process, and um, God just showed me some ways that I've been uh, holding back um, myself from from him, uh, keeping him at uh, sort of at arm's length. I think some of it has, has to do with some doubt and disappointment um, that I have with God. Um, some of it is um, shame uh, and guilt about either things in my past or just ways that I, you know, I feel like I still can't get it together. Um, and then I think I just, uh, I really, um, especially in, in uh, professional context, really want um, to be uh, accepted and liked and respected. And so I'm afraid of people to... Um, so, yeah, so I'm in, I'm in process with these things and uh, didn't have, like, a big breakthrough of a week between last week and this week, but just want to share those things and, um, yeah, ask you guys to pray with me, and hopefully that's encouraging to some, some of you. Thank you. Monty. Hey, my name is Monty. <clears throat> I, uh, I didn't want to get up, but I'm up because uh, I was thinking about this two weeks ago. I wanted to hit you, Dan. But I, I'm always changing my number. I always got a new phone, so I didn't have your number. And I didn't want to call you on Facebook. But um, it, it hit me. Um, I'll keep it real quick. Uh, been coming to the village about five years, and everything I thought was, like, nonsense has come to fruition. Mm. So there's stuff I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I, I feel so blessed. And then let's say there's, like, a three-year-old girl, four-year-old girl that got raped and died because her body couldn't handle it. So this God thing, what, why me? This can't be real. There's these battles. And, and then me and Dan, me and Larry, we have these deep conversations. We, we, I love getting it into with them about it, you know, all these questions. There's just stuff that I don't understand. But one thing that I understand fully is all the stuff I thought was just nonsense happened I remember I met with Larry and VK when I first came here. They came to my house, and I was trying to explain to them there's no such thing as a girl that's not going to, like, want you to sleep with her 
on like the first like few dates or something. Mm. And they were trying to explain to me, because I, I wasn't Christian before I came here. They were trying to explain to me, no, these girls do exist. (laughs) And and they do. There are probably some of you here. But stuff like that was so foreign. Like, nah, if you don't do something, they're going to think something wrong with you, something. Uh, Larry, he was trying to explain to me about finances. Like, you know, try to save something even if you can't see it. And there's this thing called a rainy day fund. And and it just seemed impossible to save. That's impossible. And and here we are. Like, uh, Oh, but by the way, they, we have a financial peace course here. Uh, it's, it's a great class, so I hope they do it again. I, I don't want to hold this thing up, but it's just so many of these kind of stories where if you would have looked at the way I was living, the first time I was here, I was so hungover. And I once again, I don't go to church, and Dan was preaching, and I was like, I, I, I like this. I, I like the way this guy is doing it. But I'm about to puke, so I just left. <laughs> I knew, well, I said in my mind, I'm coming back. And, and I came back in maybe two, three weeks. Um, just life is just so different. That's not what this is about. This is about Jesus. But I just had to say it. And I thought of it two weeks ago. There's just so much stuff that's just so different in my life. Mm. Now, and it's because of the people in, in the village. Right, thank you. Thank you, Monty. I'm sure others of you have stuff you want to share. And again, let us know if you do. Um, man, I, I just love hearing how God's working in different lives. There's just power there because I, I don't know about you. I feel like I often don't have the gift of faith. I doubt very easily. But when I hear God working in different people's lives and the wisdom he has to speak through men and women of this church, God does something in my life. So be generous with those things. And as, we, as Monty was saying, it's about Christ here. Um, it's e- again, I want to be really mindful because it's easy for us to end here and say, okay, now go, be those kind of people. Use your words well. But I think the most convicting thing for me is not how God has changed me when I used to be very violent with my words, but it's now, as a pastor, as someone who knows Jesus, as someone who loves Jesus, but find myself still struggling to be a good steward of my words. And as someone who knows that I have everything I need in Christ still struggling sometimes to have words that don't tear down my kids or words that don't let my wife feel all that she should feel from her husband or words for that driver on 695. I find myself struggling, and that's not always the worst struggle. For some of us, it's not your word. It's that you don't have words. You've exhausted all your words, and you're exhausted. You have nothing left to say. If you're there or if you're frustrated with your words, let it point you to Christ. Let it point you to Christ. Be like the disciples, the one apostle who said, to whom shall we go? And he's talking to Jesus. To whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Ultimately, when we don't have the words, let that bring us to our knees and come to Jesus and let him point us to eternal life. And that's what we do even regularly when we come weekly to the table. If you're a Christian, I want to invite you to come up here during this next time of singing, prayer. Take a piece of that bread. Remember the broken body of Christ Dip it in, come up both aisles, dip it in the cup right there at the table. Take it. Remember the words that gave you life through him. So stand with me right now. Whatever your relationship is with Christ, let the challenge of your words be what draws you to the one who has the word of life. Lord, help us this time as we seek you. Thank you for all these ways you're working. And God, as our one brother said, it doesn't mean it's fully there yet. You're, you're in the midst of walking us through that. God, we thank you for that. And as you reveal our words here, 
Let it not be a place of guilt and shame where we hide that away or try to fix it on our own strength, but it brings us to you. It shows us why we still need the only one whose words were ever fully perfect. And cry out our need for you, so help us, Lord. Thank you for giving us the word of life. So I want to invite you to pray. Come to the table. Pray with one another. Sing. Use your words in song. I want to encourage you in song. Sometimes you don't know the words. It's okay. Just sing it and let the Spirit speak through that as well.